It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is our Red Sox writer, Bill Koch. Bill, I'm proud to report that I had my second shot of the COVID vaccine over the weekend, and I came through with flying colors. I uh, got a little tired on the night of the shot, but really that was the extent of it. I was up and at them the next day, and uh, I can't wait till I uh, till my uh, full superpowers kick in in a couple of weeks here. That's great news, Bill Corey. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. It'll be nice to uh, nice to get packed, get past all of the. Uh, all of the fear and concern and stuff, and not that we won't have any, but I think it'll be, uh, you know, much much subsided. And uh, once we uh, have most of our neighbors and friends and family members vaccinated, I think we can uh, ditch the masks when we're outside and actually see people and shake their hands again and stuff. It'll be be nice to return to some sense of normalcy. I, I can tell you from experience that it is a feeling of relief. It, yeah. it is freeing. Um, you don't realize sometimes, I think, when you're walking around with mental burdens. I, I think we're just so engineered to keep going forward and keep trying. And, you know, you go to work the next day, whether you're sick or tired or you, know, you feel sad about something, you just go. Yeah. It's what you do. And in, in especially in media, you know, with what we've had to go through the last 14 months trying to cover some of this. You haven't been able to make certain plans. You haven't been able to schedule anything. It, it feels like you're constantly on quicksand. Yeah, getting that second shot and receiving full immunity eventually, it, it's gonna it's gonna firm up that base a little bit more for you. Yeah, and, and you know, along the same lines, and obviously this is a Red Sox podcast, so we'll get to the Red Sox in a minute. But along the same lines, we had uh, high school football championships this past weekend, which yes. you were uh, a big part of our coverage, and it was good to see that the uh, the seniors, the high school. Uh, Athletes had a season. Certainly, uh, football, football players were able to play their Super Bowls and and uh, got that in because you know so many student athletes, particularly last spring's athletes, were robbed of that opportunity. But uh, it must have been you know uh, pretty encouraging to be there and see the see the teams and and the, the fans and and uh, sort of the um, just the atmosphere of high school sports again. Aside from the fact that. Obviously, we're playing Super Bowls in May, well, yeah. which has never happened before. <clears throat> right. Everything else felt very normal. Yeah. Which I take as a great sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and a congrats to all of the uh, Super Bowl champions here at the uh, here in Rhode Island who play in the uh, RIIL, and certainly to the teams that came out on the other end of the scoreboard. It was a great season uh, for them to get there as well. Uh, and here we are uh, looking at spring sports uh, in, in the state. So that's certainly an encouraging sign. Uh, so speaking of encouraging signs, Bill, uh, our Boston Red Sox, as it were, are uh, the number one team in the latest USA Today baseball power rankings, mm. uh, which I guess comes as no surprise since they have the best record in baseball, I believe. Uh, they're at 22-13. and 13. Uh, So, you know, Bill... Uh, I saw that uh, Raphael Devers had a few comments after yesterday's uh, victory, basically saying, you know, you guys didn't really believe in us or, you know, the media <laughs> basically is it's, it's always the media's fault. But of course. So uh, which, you know, hey, it's great. Whatever motivation the Red Sox need and if that's what they're feeding off of, that's fine. I'm sure the media doesn't really care if that's what it is. But, um, you know. 
it's hard to take a team that was as bad as they were last year and really think that they were going to win a championship or finish in first place. Uh, but so far, the Red Sox have been proving all the doubters wrong. Here we are in the, uh, you know, almost the second week of May. Well, yeah, we're in the second week of May. And, uh, you know, they are still, uh, they're still on top of the heap. I think the difficult part in, in trying to project them as being a team that could have the best record in baseball one year after what they did last season yeah. is that they didn't really make a splash addition. Um, you know, right. they, they sort of they made some signings that right. were sort of around the fringes of the roster that, that maybe filled in some gaps. But there wasn't someone like a Trevor Bauer who came in. You know, there wasn't a top-of-the-market free agent. There wasn't a blockbuster trade where you brought in an all-star. There wasn't anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was... Guys who are a little more under the radar, like Garrett Richards, like Kike Hernandez, um, you know, guys who are veterans who certainly have a track record, yep. um, but who aren't necessarily guys who who have lit the world on fire previously. Um, and I think you know Boston, if if that's what it takes to motivate them, if if they <laughs> want to be a little edgy and a little chippy, I say fine. I, I think teams find their motivations in in all sorts of different ways. And I mean, how often can we really say that the Red Sox, the mighty rich Red Sox can play the underdog card. Well, that's probably true for most Boston teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Patriots are famous for uh, taking motivation uh, from the the most unlikely places when they would say things like nobody believed in us when basically every... Everybody believed in them, and everybody was picking them. But you know, if they they'll find one guy or one writer somewhere who did pick them, the, and the, then it becomes a nobody believed in us. The Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel, Rodney right. Harrison version of the Patriots could find disrespect in anything. Right. Hey, whatever it takes. Right? Uh, they were great, absolutely. Uh, but uh, so you know, before we get carried away here, now the Red Sox have played all of 35 games, and we're not 25 percent into the season yet. Right. Uh, but there certainly have been some. Uh, uh, some uh, highlights so far, and the fact that they are still holding their position here at the top of the American League East is no small feat, particularly with the play of the New York Yankees of late, who are now three and a half games behind, and I think have gone like 13 and six since they were swept by the Rays last month. Uh, and we were chatting about this a little earlier. I mean, it was really only a matter of time before that roster and that team began to resemble their baseball cards. There, there's too much talent there, particularly in the lineup. You, you didn't think that Glaber Torres and DJ LeMahieu were going to be terrible all season. No. It, it's just, <laughs> there's just really no way that's going to happen. Um, I think the big bonus for New York is the fact that Giancarlo Stanton looks like the Marlins version of Giancarlo Stanton. Boy, he and, really has kind of come guy, to life as of late, yeah. And that guy when he was in Miami, was an absolute wrecking machine. Right. Um, you know, if if it's always been whether or not he could stay healthy. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's rarely been a question of his ability. It, it's been a question of whether or not he could stay on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're seeing the type of damage that, that he's capable of doing, um, you know, with that bat. Yeah, and their pitching has kind of uh, come around as well. Corey Kluber has kind of found himself a little bit. Uh, to, to kind of become a, uh, a number two there to, to Garrett Cole. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Yankees, uh, you know, they just have too much talent uh, to, to be residing in the bottom of the American League East. And I think that's going to be, you know, it should, be, it should make for a fun summer. It's always better when you, you know, when the Red Sox and the Yankees are both good and, and the rivalry kind of opens a new chapter. So, you know, we'll see. It's kind of a pleasant surprise because, frankly, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think, and I'm probably one of the people that uh, – Devers was referring to, although I, I haven't written anything. <laughs> but, but you know, I, yeah, I didn't think the Red Sox would be in first place on May 10th, you know. No, uh, no. You know, I think I, I, I think I 
picked them to win between 80 and 85 games and figured they'd be somewhere in the third place, you know, maybe second place kind of thing. But, uh, you know, so far so good. And and actually, there's a couple of players I think we, we should, uh, at least I'd like to point out, uh, that have helped them get there so far. And, uh, well, let's start on let's start on the pitching first. And, and uh, Nick Pavetta had another good outing. Uh, yesterday, and uh, he's been, uh, and, and you pointed this out to me, and I, w- I didn't aware, wasn't aware of this. He's been like almost perfect, or in terms of wins and losses, since he became a member of the Red Sox last year. Uh, and uh, I think one of the things that I found interesting was that he kind of credited, or had some nice words for Jason uh, for Jason Veritek to kind of help him, uh, you know, help him with his uh, with his performance. Uh, but Pavetta is so far living up to the potential that all those other teams initially had and then eventually didn't have with him. Um, so what's your take on Pavetta so far? He's made nine starts with Boston. He's 7-0. and uh, Opponents are hitting less than 200 against him. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think when Pavetta is in the zone, he, he has good enough stuff to get people out. He's proven difficult to hit. Um, the walks can be a problem at times. He's, right. got, he's got 22 in 36 and two-thirds innings. That's a little high. Um, you know. But the fact is, he's only allowing six hits per nine. Right. right. He's been very difficult to, to put a rally together against um, without a little help from him. Um, you know, We saw that early in the game on Sunday. He had a couple walks in the first inning. Then there's a single. He's down one nothing. Um, you know, has a 30-pitch first inning. Without that, he's going deeper into the game. He's probably giving you seven innings. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to keep the bullpen a little fresher. Um, you know, but I, I think the stuff plays. I, I mean, he's got, you know, he's got a good fastball. He's using his slider you know, twice as much as he did with the Phillies, and, and mm-hmm. I think he's pointed to that as something really important in his pitch mix, uh, a change that the Red Sox wanted him to make. Um, you know, throw more sliders, less curveballs. It's it's a better pitch for you. Yep. Um, you know, and it certainly worked. And and I think, you know, it just goes back to to the trade uh, last August. You know, High and Bloom makes a trade. He sends two relievers to a team that was desperate to get into the playoffs. Right. And they send you back a starter who they're frustrated with in Pavetta, uh, and a prospect starter in Connor Siebold who. You know, they might have seen is a couple levels away, and you know he's 25, and is he ever actually going to get there? Um, you know, maybe they thought that that uh, you know his clock was sort of running a little bit, and and maybe you know maybe he's a little older, you know, sort of aging out of right. that prospect status. Right, right. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's a very good deal for Boston. Absolutely, it's been great so far. I mean, he's he's five and zero with the team this year. He's got like thirty five strikeouts and almost thirty seven innings of of, uh, of work. So certainly, uh, you know, working out just uh, fantastic for them. Um, and somebody else, I, I guess I, I want to shout out, uh, give a shout out to is that, and that's Garrett Richards, who um, didn't have the best outing. In his last start, did didn't match what he had done previously, but you know he he uh, he went seven innings for them and they they won the game pretty handily. So they had a you know pretty good lead. I think he gave up four runs or something like that in that inning in that game, maybe three. But uh, you know that's key right now because as you pointed out, that means you're not eating into the bullpen, and he certainly looked a lot better the last few starts than his first few starts. Yeah, he made uh, made a mechanical adjustment yeah. uh, against the Mets, and, and he's carried that through in his last few outings. Um, you know, you have a game like he pitched in over the weekend where 
you're ahead 11 to 4 and that ultimately ends up the final what do you want a starting pitcher at that point right. get yeah. us deep into the game yeah. um you know give a couple guys a, a day off out of the bullpen maybe we can get some position players off their feet yep um at that point it's it's all about management it's not necessarily about him going out there and giving you one run three hits no walks you know 10 strikeouts right the offense has done enough it's, yeah. it's good enough right um right. it's it's just important for him just don't to blow go it. out there and give you some length that's right right, right. that's right and uh and he and he has been and that's great um and uh so that kind of brings us to the bullpen which is uh kind of a tale of two cities for me bill and for a lot of people here mm. the back end of the bullpen i think has been very encouraging matt barnes has looked fantastic uh, the other Garrett there, Garrett Whitlock, has looked pretty good. Adam Adovino is kind of up and down, you know. Uh, we know he's got the stuff. It's just a matter of his putting it together. But my my main concern, and I think a lot of Red Sox uh, fans' main concern right now, is sort of that middle middle relief core, which it's just you know it's early in the season. Maybe they're not really you know settled into their roles yet quite uh you know quite as they would later in the year but it's still they bring this like austin bryce or you know even sawamora has not been fantastic it's you know that's i guess where but you know there's a reason why you're a middle reliever in the major leagues right i mean if you are a really good reliever you're probably the closer or the setup guy or the late innings guy and and if you're really, really good, then you're probably a starter. So if you don't fall into those two camps, then you're pitching the fifth, right? You're or exactly the, right. Or the sixth or whatever. So I suppose, you know, it's a first world problem, but I would like to see a little bit more consistency in that middle relief. You're exactly right. That's that's exactly how pitching is broken down. You, yeah. you, just, you just said it perfectly. Um, you look at the Red Sox bullpen and, and how they're used and what situations they're used in, um, you can certainly see a defined sort of circle of trust, I guess you could say. <laughs> it's not very big. It's right. not big enough <laughs> yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. You know, they certainly trust Matt Barnes. He's been great. Yep. He's also appeared in 17 games right. out of 35. That sort of pace isn't sustainable no. over 162. Right. Um, Adam Adovino has appeared in 16 games. Uh, Josh Taylor has 15 appearances. Yeah. You know, these guys will not be able to continue at that pace over 162 and so you need something from Saumura Austin Bryce the other night has a seven run lead hits three batters they end up going to Taylor to rescue him it's an 11-6 final right right that comes after Austin Bryce pitching midweek last week with a six run lead and giving up a three run homer eventually you get Matt Barnes into that game at the end Um, so I guess you would look at guys like Bryce like Saumura like Taylor, they have a job to do. And it's to keep the ball out of the hands of Matt Barnes, Adam Adovino, right. Darwins and Hernandez when the score is spread out. Um, you know, and I think in that way they're just as important as somebody like Barnes. They need to perform in their given role. Um, and you would like to see something a little better than that. And, and I think that's why the Red Sox made the signing that they did over the weekend, bringing back Brandon Workman. Old friend who's now down in uh, Worcester, but uh, if all goes well, could be rejoining the Red Sox at some point here in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, so Workman's an interesting case because Workman had a, had a uh, very good stint with the Red Sox uh, from 2013 till uh, 2019 before he was dealt away. 
uh, and uh, in in some of those years, really was a, a consistently effective reliever, uh, and was the closer in one of those seasons too. Twenty nineteen. Nineteen. Yep. Uh, and then was uh, dealt away and did not really have the same kind of success. He, w- he went to Philly, and then he was with the Cubs for a little while and kind of flamed out in both places. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to know because relievers are kind of up and down. Uh, but here's somebody who has succeeded here in Boston. Uh, it's not exactly uh, – he's not over the hill. Uh, so uh, it would be great to see him recapture some of that form. But, yeah, I think that he would be a great addition to that bullpen if he can find some level of, of what he had before, you know, with the Red Sox. It's, it's a worthwhile flyer to take. Uh, you know, as you said, he's 32. Um, he gets released by the Cubs. Uh, he had an ERA over 6.5 with Chicago, uh, an ERA over 6.5 when he pitched with the Phillies last season after the trade for Pavetta and, and Seabold. Um, so he has struggled for an extended period, but – you only have to go back to 2019, and you'll find his best season of his career yeah. two years ago. Mm-hmm. 188 ERA. Um, opponents hit right around 100 against him. Uh, over 100 strikeouts in 70 innings. Right. Uh, he was fantastic. He gave up one home run all season. Wow. He was fantastic. Right. Um, he had that devastating curveball that he could set up. Absolutely. Yeah. He was fantastic. Um, you know, and if he can give you 70% of that. 80% of that. Right. You know, something approaching it. He's another worthwhile arm to put out there. Absolutely. And, and they picked him up for next to nothing, right? Nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Right off the waiver wire. And right. he's he's someone, I think this is important as well, he's someone who still has relationships here. Yeah. He was drafted and developed by the team. He'd been with the organization since 2010. Wow. Um, you know, somebody who can pitch in this market. I, I don't think that can be overstated right. either. Right. Uh, you know, Boston is a demanding place. It can be difficult. For some people to excel here, um, you know, he's proven that he can perform and, and be consistent here. I think that's important. It's interesting. He's only pitched in these kinds of markets. If you think about it, the three teams yeah, that he pitched for—the right? Phillies, the Cubs, and the Red Sox—these are all true. baseball crazy uh, cities. You know, it's uh, it's not like pitching for the San Diego Padres. We always we always pick on the Padres. I always just go to San Diego when I you know, you know the- when I need that example of what's a team that nobody cares about. <laughs> But of course, they're they're like really good. My my go tos tend to be the Rays and the Royals for some reason. I, I <laughs> they, yeah, they're they're right up there too. I, I tend to rip them. I don't yeah. know why. If I was a baseball player and I wanted to play in a place that nobody really cared about, I'd want to be in San Diego, though, right? Oh, absolutely. wouldn't you rather be there than in Kansas Absol- City? Or... Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, I, I also want to um, point out a couple of the the offensive players on the Red Sox and and. First off, uh, Xander Bogarts, I think, has been just consistently good. And this past weekend, it's kind of a wake-up call. Well, it wasn't a wake-up call. It was a reminder of how good he was. Um, he, he made a couple of really good plays at shortstop. Double plays, one in which he snared a hard-hit ball and was able to start a double play. Another, another one uh, was a ground ball in the infield. He was on second base. Uh, he, took the, he took the relay throw kind of falling off the bag and he threw purposely threw it in the dirt to get it to first base quickly yeah and Dahlbeck made a nice uh, 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 catch and, and they, they were able to turn the double play and you know you see things like that and, and it reminds you oh yeah he's a pretty good shortstop I know he doesn't I realize that he doesn't get a lot of love as a defensive shortstop 
and I get that. I'm sure there are metrics that'll tell me how stupid I am. But when you watch him play and you make those and he makes those plays, you know, to me, those are those are plays that that great shortstops make. You know, he's he's not Andrelton Simmons out there. No, no. he doesn't have that kind of range. Right. Um, and and that's and that's his, that's the big knock on him. He doesn't have the great range. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but generally, when you hit the ball to him, he's going to field it and make right. a play. Um, and the offense is, is just elite. Uh, I mean, at this point, he's leading the big leagues among shortstops in just about every major category. He's got an OPS approaching 1,000, 10 doubles already, 7 home runs in 33 games. I mean, he has morphed into a slugger over the last two or three years. And, and this was a guy who had the hit tool. They knew he was going to hit for average. Yep. That's, that's what they liked about him most as a prospect coming up. He, he was a big prospect, obviously. You know, was a top-five prospect in baseball before he was promoted. Um, you know, but as he's grown up here, and now he's squarely in the middle of his prime at yep. 28, you take a step back and you realize this is a big guy, strong guy. Right. He's capable of hitting the ball a long way. And, and he's done since 2018, since Cora came in, and asked him to tweak his approach a little bit. He's done a lot of damage at the plate. I mean, he's hitting 349. He's got seven home runs. He's got 20 RBIs. As you mentioned, he leads the league as a shortstop in almost all the offensive categories and has been doing that really all season long. You know, there isn't much else you could ask of this guy. And, and, and he's essentially the captain of the team. I was going to say. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you add on the fact <laughs> right. that he's a leader. Right. I, I mean, even better. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, as... Uh, as great as some of the Red Sox players of the past have been, not all of them were the actual leaders of the team. They weren't the guy that you would go and get the quotes from or the guy that would stand up there after a tough loss and, and sort of take the blame or, or you know, talk to the media or whatever. And, and Bogarts has, has pretty much been that guy. So, you know, uh, I think hats off to him. And, and, and uh, you know, hopefully he will get some, I think, some league-wide love because I think that people yeah. in Boston know what they have in Xander Bogarts. But I think across the league, there's, there's always a reason why there's somebody else in front of him in the line, I think. It, it's not in – I don't think it's in everybody's nature to, to be a leader. I, I think uh, certainly some guys are more comfortable with it than others. Uh, the example I generally go to is Nomar Garciaparra when he was here. Right. Um, a terrific player, you know, but didn't want anything to do with – the responsibilities of dealing with the media and you know sort of being that face every night that voice every night of the team right uh that sort of went to jason veritek over time um you would like your best player to do that right um it is convenient but you can't force that you can't force right. that and sometimes you should just be content to allow your best player to be great yeah uh it, it is important yep. in those situations that you have other characters in the clubhouse who are able to assume that role. Yep. Um, you would like them to be more than bit part players. You'd like them to be everyday players, cornerstone type guys. Um, you know, but it, it is ideal when it's all wrapped in one package, and that's Xander Bogarts. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I, I think another uh, person we probably should just uh, not forget to mention is J.D. Martinez, who continues to tear the cover off the ball. He's got an OPS of over a thousand. He's hitting three thirty three. He's got an OBP of uh, four twenty five. He's got ten home runs and thirty one RBIs. And uh, you know, so far hasn't hurt himself in the outfield either. Uh, <laughs> but you know, J- J- 
you know, we've said this before, hats off to JD because he stunk last year and he said he stunk and he put the work in and he's back to, you know, watching himself in terms of his, his at-bats and his swing and his approach and all that. And boy, it has been paying off. And it is really, it's a whole different ball game, Bill, when, when you can watch a Red Sox game and feel pretty confident that no matter the situation, I mean, unless they're down six or seven runs after three or four innings, you know, that, you know, even if they are trailing by two runs or three runs or even four runs, it's not really over. No. Because, you know, you can you have a few guys that can get on base. And if if they're on base when Xander Bogarts or Raphael Devers or J.D. Martinez, you know, or maybe even Bobby Dahlbeck, who seems to kind of be finding his stroke lately, you know, all of a sudden you're right back in the game. And that right there is the reason why you want to keep watching the Red Sox, no. right? Two, because they are never really out of it. Two through five, yeah. the lineup is superb. Sure. Uh, Alex Verdugo had a 24-game on-base streak uh, that was snapped the other night after I wrote nice things about him. That, that seems to be the way that works. <laughs> you're, you're batting a thousand uh, yeah, in that I, respect, I am. Right? I, I am terrible. You know, it, it, it never fails. If, if a reliever has like 15 straight scoreless right. appearances, and you do a story like, about how good they are, and then they're, then they're out of the he, league. He gets shelled the next night, <laughs> right. and you know, it's all your fault. It happens all the time. Right. Um, but Verdugo had a 24-game on-base streak. He hits lefties. He hits righties. He he gets you know, he just gets on against right. everybody. Uh, Martinez hitting third. You know, I asked Verdugo the other night. I said, you know, you saw JD when he stunk last year, and now you're seeing the JD who was here in 2018. Yep. What sort of difference does that make? I said, I know it's a you know sort of an obvious question, and he said, no, man. He said, go ahead and ask because it, it, we feel it too. He's like, huh. it's it's obvious to us, you know, how much different he is, and you know, it's obvious how much better he makes us. Yep. Uh, you got Bogart hitting fourth; he's been fantastic, uh, and then you have Devers hitting fifth, who's got a 951 OPS. Which, which is like the worst out of the group, right? <laughs> and you're just, you know, and it's like, geez, you know, it's it's a nice collection of power hitters. When among your three, four, five, nine fifty one OPS is the lowest of the three. Uh, I mean, it's it's <laughs> fairly ridiculous, right. Um, right? And and you saw, you know, Devers is sort of he gets into these stretches where he is just incandescent hot, like yeah. he'll just go crazy, right? over a two- or three-week span and, and just hit everything that moves. Um, and I think you saw Sunday how and why he's able to get to that point. His first couple at-bats, um, he gets a breaking ball away and he just crushes it to left center. It's an absolute laser beam for a home run. Then later in the game, he gets a fastball up out of the zone, is still able to get to it, and he hits a double to right center field with the base loaded. Another absolute laser. Just the, the way he is able to make consistent, hard, loud contact um, on pitches that are in the zone, out of the zone, against lefties, against righties, against velocity, against right. every, anything. He, he really is. He is a savant with the bat in his hands. I, I, I can't remember many other Red Sox players uh, in my lifetime who have had the sort of range that he has at the plate in terms of being able to hit good pitches, bad pitches, fastballs, off-speed pitches. His skill set is just so special. It's it's incredible to watch. Well, it's it's been it certainly has been incredible to watch and it's been great to watch the Red Sox overall. So so we've reached the point in the podcast bill where I'm going to start asking you the hard questions about so how good are the Red Sox in terms of, you know, making noise in the uh down the stretch and getting to the playoffs because uh you know as again they're 35 games in so things can change but we've got a pretty good sense of how good they are 
and and uh, a pretty good sense of of how some of these other teams are performing. Is it crazy to think the Red Sox are going to be are are, are going to win the American League East? Wow, you really put me on the spot. Well, I mean, it's it, it's early, so we can obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously change our answers over the course of this, but but here we are. We're 35 games in, and they are in the lead in the American League East. I would say this: yeah. if if you tell me that they're going to pitch like this for the next four and a half months, yeah, I'd say they have a really good chance. Okay. Um, if you tell me that their starters are going to be able to avoid the IL for the next four and a half months, right, I'd say they have a really good chance. Um, their personal track records suggest that at least one or two of them will get hurt. Um, you know, you you just you have guys who haven't made thirty starts right. in a season all that frequently. Um, you know, you've seen a couple injuries over the last week uh, that that are going to test their depth going forward. Uh, Kike Hernandez is on the IL; yep. he's got a right hamstring strain. Uh, Christian Arroyo is on the IL; he's got a left hand contusion. He got hit by a couple pitches in the back of the hand; incredibly painful the second time. Right. Um, you know, and you could tell that it was bothering him. Uh, and they've shut down Tanner Houck at Worcester. Uh, he's got a flexor strain. Um, they don't think it's anything too serious, but that takes out a depth option in terms of if you need to skip a starter or if you want to, you know, give a guy an extra rest or whatever else. He would have been the first phone call. Connor Seabold's on the IL at Worcester. Right. He's got right elbow inflammation. He might have been the second or third phone call. Um, you know, so they're going to be tested. A little bit in that way. They've been healthy so far. Sure. They, they've been lucky so far. They have. I mean, even the injuries have not been anything major, so so to speak. At least at least we don't think so. Uh, but yeah, they ha- they certainly have been healthy. And you're right. There's there's always, you know, I think you and I are both thinking of the same guy, Nate Evaldi. Is it, how far is he going to get into the season before something comes up and stuff? But, you know. Is, is Rodriguez going to make 30 starts well, right. after essentially being down? For a whole year and a half, right? I mean, like, that's is, an unknown. Is he going to be able to do that? We don't right. know. Absolutely, because that's you're coming back from an unknown. I mean, people, you know, we haven't been dealing with pictures with myocarditis much, right? No. Um, but you know, I, I think, regardless of what you and I think, I think the Red Sox will let us know how serious they th- or how good they think they they're going to be. When that when the trade deadline rolls around, yes, uh, and you know, are there going to be buyers and sellers uh, or sellers? Uh, you know, and right now, you got to think they're going to be buyers because they, you know, if if they are still in the mix, either at the top or the top two or three, and or maybe no more than three games out of you know contention, you know, maybe you go and try and sign that guy. Uh, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to get Chris Sale back probably at some point here, late July, early August around. Yep. Um, you know, we could really be in for a postseason that people weren't expecting, I guess. No, I'd say they're probably a year ahead. Um, yep. I, I think if, if, you, you know, if you gave them some truth serum, I, I think they might have said that we hope to contend by 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we'd, we'd be a little more aggressive uh, in the third year of, of what is a rebuild, frankly. Right. Uh, I mean, no one wants to use that word, but it is. Yep. You trade the MVP, you are rebuilding. That's that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, right. You know, you, you, you trade Mookie Betts to dump David Price's salary. <laughs> you still you, haven't gotten over the are, Mookie Betts deal. I never will. I never <laughs> right. will. Right. 
Never. I I think it's one of the worst personnel moves they've ever made. Um, Dreadful. You you trade a homegrown generational star because you don't want to pay him. That's terrible. Um, But I digress. (laughs) Um, I I would say that, uh, yeah, they're they're probably a year ahead. And it, it will be interesting when you get into July when you consider that Massachusetts stadiums are going to go to full capacity on August August 1st. 1st, You're going to have fans in the ballpark. If you have an attractive product out there, you're certainly going to engender some goodwill that you lost trading Mookie Betts and having a terrible 2020. You know, you bring up an excellent point because that's the other thing. You know, all... Every baseball team, every professional sports team has been hammered through throughout the pandemic, Crushed. obviously, and and so have many businesses. And we shouldn't, you know, obviously, it's not just the million millionaires and billionaires who play and own baseball and and pro sports teams, but right. in in pro sports, these teams have been crushed. So now you've got a team that's got some legs. Let's say, you know, do you go out and just for the sake of keeping fans interested and and you know bodies in the seats so to speak i wonder if that plays a role in it too as you know i mean you're not going to do it if you're a terrible team but if you're a team that's kind of on the fence and in years past maybe you, the the ownership is thinking well i don't know if this is this really is the year to go and break the bank but you know hey we we really need to make sure our stadium is full for the rest of the year you know i mean for goodness sake you're the red Sox. you're one of the haves you should be buying. You should be spending. It doesn't matter what's right. going on. Pandemic or not, right? But, Pandemic but that's or not. not the reality as of late, at least no, not, not under uh, what John Henry has sort of laid out over the last few seasons. No. Right? No. I, I mean, they, <clears throat> their payroll still is a top three to top five payroll in the sport. Right. Uh, you can't say that they don't spend money because that's not true. They, they do. Right. But a lot of a lot of the reason for that is is decisions that, that have been made in in underpass regimes. Yes, it's not, you know, if if Hyam Bloom was was allowed to just start over with a clean slate and had no players and no salary, I doubt I doubt the Red Sox would be the one of the top three salaries uh, teams with the highest salaries. Well, I, I would tell you that there there were probably at least five guys on this roster who wouldn't have the contracts they do. Right, I, I, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think what fans want to see, based on the Red Sox resources, their recent history, whatever else, is ambition. Yeah, I think they want to see ambition. They want to see action. They, they want, want to see belief in themselves. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. And that goes a long way in the clubhouse as well. It makes a huge difference among a team when you make a couple personnel moves and you're an obvious buyer. I, I mean, look what the Bruins are doing right now. Mm. You know, just to go off on a tangent a little bit, the Bruins acquire Taylor Hall who is a top draft pick, has been an MVP contender, um, is a clear top forward on any team. The Bruins, Don Sweeney, that's a clear statement of intent from Don Sweeney to guys whose clocks might be running out a little bit, like David Krejci, like Patrice Bergeron. Hey, we're going for it. We brought in this guy. You know who he is. He's a really good player. Um, you know, He made a couple other ancillary moves at the deadline that were designed to buy. To right. strengthen the lineup. Right. I certainly think that in baseball, every year when you go to the trade deadline, if you feel like you have a contender and you bring in a splash piece that can help, I certainly think that affects what's going on in the clubhouse. I think the players look at themselves and say, hey, we're buyers. They believe in us. Right. Right. You know, they think we're good. Let's let's give it a shot here. Um, you know, I, I also think I, I look at the Red Sox and – I wonder, you know, in terms of whether or not they're contending, it is important based on 
a few of the guys they have and the contract situations they have. Eduardo Rodriguez is a free agent next year. Matt Barnes is a free agent next year. Matt Barnes would bring back a lot if you offered him right now the yeah. way he's pitching. Eduardo Rodriguez would bring back a fair amount if he's still healthy going into July and throwing the ball well. Right. You've got some other guys who are on one-year deals with club options for next year. Garrett Richards comes to mind. Mm. If he's throwing the ball like this all the way into July and he's healthy and his ERA slips under four and he's striking people out like this, a contender would add him as a starter. Sure. And they'd also know that they have the security of activating his option for next year. Yeah. So he wouldn't necessarily be a straight rental. Um, so you could go two ways with this. I think the front office, the Red Sox, might have designed it purposely that way, knowing that if they, if they didn't contend, if for some reason it didn't work, right. they could sell off and try to deepen the prospect base even further. Um, you know, they knew that they had some guys going into walk years. If all these got... You know, a year and a half left on his deal. Maybe you explore moving him yeah. at some point. Um, I know Alex Spear reported in the Boston Globe there were discussions, preliminary discussions, about possibly trading Valdi last year. Mm. Um, you know, so those are the types of things that come in when you're not a contender, when you're not necessarily at the top of the division or in a wild card but spot. Those are the conversations you don't want to have. That would be an absolute punch in the gut, though, if this team was contending you know, in the top, in the mix, let's just say in the mix, and the uh, front office decided that, that they wanted to cash in on the values of some of these players and traded off some of those pieces and, you know, essentially kissed, the, kissed off the rest of the season because, man, after last season, yeah. that's asking a lot of the fans. And with fans back right, and able to vent their frustrations <laughs> in person. yes. Uh, Fenway Park would be a very ugly place. It's hard. It's hard to imagine that were to happen. You know. You know. Look, if they go on this extended skid and they're ten games out by you know July fifteenth, it's right. a different story. But right. you know, as of now, uh, yeah, it's it's a pleasant surprise though because I really didn't think that the Red Sox would be in in this kind of position. This and not that it's that deep, but this deep into the season. We'll see. The warm weather hasn't hit yet, and you know we'll see how they, if they wilt or they thrive when July and August roll around. But uh, you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging on several levels. The first, obviously, is they're playing very good baseball for the most part. They're uh, in the, in the uh, top spot in the American League East. You have the prospect of Chris Sale coming back later this season. Yeah. You have the idea or the possibility of them adding somebody at the trade deadline and them being buyers and not sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, they are on track, I think, to win back a lot of the... Uh, I mean, you know, when I think back at our first podcast, one of the things that I think we brought up was, you know, uh, I wonder how the league is going to react and Red Sox fans are going to react to Alex Cora and coming back from the suspension. I haven't even thought about that. That hasn't even really come up. Now, maybe we'll be hearing more of that depending on some of the some of the uh, road games the Red Sox have. But, you know, so far... That you know, the reception of Alex Cora is so far down the line of, of storylines that it's almost uh, a non you know it's it's not even an issue. Well, and that's that's certainly what you hoped is that the product on the field would take away from that. I, I also think that you know Cora has gone a long way to making it a non-story by owning it, just by being very frank about right. it. Right, he basically he takes all the drama out of it. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's not he addresses it enough it, that it's not this taboo subject anymore. You know, you know, he's he's come out and said you know a couple times, yeah, when I was suspended last year, and it's yeah. like, 
okay, he's not running from it. Right. You know, if if he was if he was in the school of denial and it was, you know, oh well, you know they, you know MLB that was a technicality. I didn't really cheat. <laughs> you know, like you you're doing things like that. You're prolonging it. You're making right, it worse. Right. Right. Um, you know the fact that he's been forthright and and said, you know, yes, I was out of baseball last year for, you know, for something I did in Houston and I shouldn't have done it and I missed a season for the wrong reasons. I fine. Yeah good right right right. you know and more importantly that takes the heat off his players they don't have to answer it you know what do you think alex being back alex will answer (laughs) that's right ask alex right you know it's not it's not uh you know it's not he's not putting out the he's not giving you the heisman as as we say you know he doesn't have the handout handout, you know in your face like no 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 we're not going to talk about that because what do you do then you go to the players and say hey What's he saying about this behind the scenes? Like, you know, is he is he upset about it? Is he whatever? He's taking it on. Yeah. You know, he's been very forthright about it. And, and I think that's exactly the right way to approach it and, and keep it under the surface um, sure. is, is by bringing it out into the light. Um, you sure. know, and I, yeah. and, I, and I think the point you make is a good one. Um, what do they consider contention? Yeah. Do they do they think we have to be in a wild card spot or we have to be leading the division or we're X games out, you know, whatever it may be? Yeah. What, what do they see right. what's, as what's, contention? Right. What's their benchmark for contention? But I think I think the point you make is a good one in that you have a chance here with fans coming back to the ballpark to welcome them with a decent product, to show them some ambition, to further bury what happened last season. Mm. Um you, you seem to have a golden opportunity here after 35 games to set up something like that as we get into the summer. And it would be good business. It would be good ownership, good leadership to capitalize on it. Yeah, and, and as, as we've talked about many times, it, it's a fun, it's, it's been a fun team to watch. You know, uh, just the makeup of the team, the makeup of the roster, the guys that they've added. Uh, it's been, and obviously the success on the field uh, makes it a lot more palatable. But it's been generally a fun team to watch. Hmm. They're always in the game. You know, they, they're they're able to to overcome deficits. Uh, they've been hitting very well. Generally pitching pretty well. Barnes is one of those guys. Now, when he comes in, you just expect it. It's going to be automatic. He's going to get the save. Uh, so it's been, uh, you know, so far. I don't know. I don't know that there's a lot to gripe about with the Red Sox this year so far. So we'll, again, we'll see. We're not 25 percent into the season yet. We're approaching that that benchmark. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know that anybody. And certainly, I would not have predicted them to be in first place and have the record that they've had and the winning percentage that they've had up to this point. Uh, you know, if you ask me back in uh, you know March 30th, where do you think the Red Sox are going to be? So. Uh, so, uh, Bill, talking, you, you you touched upon fans coming back, and uh, the fans will be back uh, in, or will be uh, for the first time in Polar Park in Worcester uh, this week on Tuesday. They open up uh, the home uh, portion of their schedule when the Worcester Red Sox host the Syracuse. What the hell are they? The Chiefs, the Sky Chiefs, something like that. They used to be. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not what, sure. The, the the Syracuse team. The Syracuse team. <laughs> uh, at three o'clock on uh, at three o'clock on Tuesday, uh, and uh, they're they're just the Syracuse Mets now. 
Uh, the Mets. That's right. Okay. The Syracuse yeah. Mets. I know they're. I know they're, they're, they were the Mets uh, franchise. They were the Chiefs yeah. and the Sky Chiefs right, and right. all sorts of things. They've also they've gone through. I think they were the Blue Jays affiliate, and then they might have been the Nationals affiliate, and now they're the Mets affiliate. Yeah. They, they've sort of. I think they've cycled through a few yeah. times. Yeah. That's that's probably true. I think when the uh, back when they won the Sky Chiefs, I think they were the uh, the Blue Jays affiliate. But anyway. Who cares about them? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, it's really the Worcester Red Sox that that are uh, that are uh, driving the headlines in these parts. Um, so Polar Park, after some cost overruns and a few delays, is is up and close to running, uh, and uh, it is obviously um, the home of the former Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, so, you know, Bill, we've talked about this many times and we don't have to sort of beat a dead horse, but um, I am interested in going up. I'm not, I won't be there for the opener, but I, I'm interested in going up at some point this season just to check the place out. Sure. And uh, I think we talked about you're going to probably make a trip up there tomorrow and see what it's like. Yeah, I think in, so. In, uh, at Polar Park and uh, what could have been if uh, things went differently here in Rhode Island. Um but uh, what, what are you expecting? What have you been hearing about Polar Park? And uh, uh, hopefully, it's a, it's supposed to be. Hopefully, it's a nice day. We'll see. It's um, you know it's essentially still an active construction site. They're they're putting the finishing touches on the ballpark. Right. And, you know the area surrounding the ballpark. They they have uh, you know several plans in place to improve all the way to 2024. Right. Um, you know in terms of hotels and parking garages and right. commercial units. So uh, not necessarily the finished product yet uh and they won't have full capacity yet either no so they're, they're gonna have 25 percent capacity right so you know somewhere around 2300 2400 yep. yeah. fans roughly a ten thousand seat stadium um you know but my guess would be just just based on track record just based on larry lucchino's track record and janet marie smith's track record um that the park will be very nice i i, I don't have any doubts about that um you know i think that uh, the community is going to welcome the Red Sox with open arms. Right. Uh, you know, city government there and, and state government there made a very ambitious pitch uh, to the ownership group and, and was able to secure their move. Right. Um, I thought Patrick Anderson, our, our colleague on news side, uh, did a nice political deep dive last week. Yep. Uh, In the political scene a couple of weekends ago. Yep. Regarding, uh, you know, just the last days of the Paw Sox and, you know, sort of the, the wrangling that went on in the General Assembly, um, some of the conversations between uh, political folks here and, and ownership there. Um, you know, and I, I think we've, you know, we've gone over the story so many times, uh, it doesn't make it any easier to accept that the top affiliate of the Red Sox is no longer playing in Rhode Island Sure. after so long. Um, you know, I think... Tuesday will just be another day where that reality gets slammed home uh, again. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, for real, yeah. We'll actually see the stadium and, and the, the team playing on the field and know that they're not here in Rhode Island anymore. Right. And, and you know my position on this. I, I've been pretty yeah. consistent with it throughout. Uh, I feel like there was a deal to be made there. Um, you know, I feel like there was... There was a conclusion that could have been reached between the two sides, and, and I don't necessarily think that uh, the appetite was so great for it on the political side. Um, you know, I also believe that uh, you know there was a communication breakdown there between the two sides, and you know, you know as well as I do because 
you know, you've been married for as long as you have, in order to have any sort of successful relationship between two people, two entities, you need to be communicating. Sure. And, and you need to be clear and honest about where you stand, your feelings, your objectives. And, and I think at some point, uh, those discussions between ownership and, and state government, I, I, I think there was an absence of that. Um, and I think that's how we've ended up here uh, with yeah. the Worcester Red Sox opening Polar Park and playing their first home game in franchise history on Tuesday. Yeah, well, you know, it'll it'll be interesting for the folks in Worcester County and then the fans in, in that area. Uh, yeah, again, I, I look forward to getting up there at some point this season to, to check it out. But still, you know, it'll be it'll be bittersweet knowing that, uh, you know, particularly the way it happened here and the, the fact that they didn't really have a chance to, to really say goodbye because of the pandemic. You know, it was, McCoy Stadium was closed and it was really just a, uh, a practice facility for, for the for the Red Sox uh, yeah. last season. And they didn't really have that that last season that they were expecting to have. So, uh, you know, but it was still, you know, good luck to the, was the Red Sox, uh, both from a baseball standpoint and and you know from the from the standpoint of of rehabbing an old uh an area of an old city and bring breathing some new life into it and bringing some more development to uh to an area that that could definitely use it gee i wonder if there are any old cities here in rhode island that could have used that maybe a couple <laughs> maybe a couple yeah. but uh anyway bill we'll, we don't want to open that can of worms because we will certainly there's certainly plenty of people on the other side who are saying well i'm glad we I'm glad we dodged that bullet. Of course. But, uh, of course. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Red Sox are going to be uh, wrapping up their uh, their um, trip to Baltimore. Uh, oh, you know, talking about stadiums and, and uh, Larry Lucchino. Every time I watch the Orioles play at home, I always say, what a great ball. I mean, I've been to it several times. Mm-hmm. What a great ballpark, Camden Yards. And it always it always shows so well it's on fantastic. TV. fantastic. It is. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just uh, uh, being able to go watch a game there and have a beer out in the warehouse area there and get some crab cakes or whatever. And, you yep. know. Uh, they, one of it's it's kind of one of the older new stadiums now. Uh, yeah, it was it was sort of that it was like ninety three, ninety four, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was that it was that first stadium in this new wave of of construction. Right, um, and it was. You know, again, Janet Marie Smith uh, yeah, right. should should probably be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Really, if if we're being honest, considering the, the projects that she's worked on, um, somehow managed to build a modern stadium with a retro feel. Yeah. And it's just so intimate, cozy, uh, comfortable, um, while being modern at the same time. It's it's an absolute gem. And, and as it stands here, you know, more than a quarter century later, yeah, still feels new. Yeah. No, and it still it still feels new. And I haven't been in probably five or six years, but uh, every time I go there, it, it it shines. You know, it looks great. Yeah. They're right on top of it and stuff. Uh, which kind of makes you wonder, you know. Are the Red Sox ever going to leave Fenway Park after all that 250 million plus that they've been spent? They've, they've spent on it, uh, probably a lot more than that. Um, You're really trying to get me in trouble on this podcast, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> well, I know where you stand on this. I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but uh, y- you know, it's uh, anyway. It's Fenway's. The idea of Fenway is great, but the practical, the practical reality of Fenway stinks. He said it, not me, right, folks. Right. He said it. No, but but I, I think most people can can agree on that. I mean, it's a great old ballpark in terms of 
just the history of it and and they've done i think they've done wonders with it and they've done everything they can do to the you know for the most part yes but realistically you can't change where it is nope it's difficult to get to yep. parking's a nightmare mm-hmm. um and you know i mean hey it's a Hundred and nine. Uh, nine year old stadium. Right. People weren't as big as they are as <laughs> big then as they are now. It's the seats are cramped, the aisles are cramped. You know, it's just there. You if you're trying to do it all within that in that uh, footprint, you know, it's tough. And from the from the standpoint of the baseball players and why do you know fans don't care about this? But you know, the amenities just don't stack up in terms of space and the clubhouse and all that other stuff that a lot of these other uh, newer parks have. But with all that said, I just it's hard to imagine the Red Sox leaving that stadium just after they're so just the identity of the Red Sox and Fenway Park go hand in hand. Right. And the political realities being what they are, it's hard to imagine them being able to put the Fenway put put a park that where else are they going to put it? They wanted to do it in South Boston that that didn't fly. So I mean, just the realities of doing it somewhere in Boston, you know, seem seem kind of a long shot. And, uh, you know, is, would it be the same if they built it in Foxborough? You know what I mean? Would, it be, would they be the New England Red Sox? You know, it's so. it's a uh, it's a major tourist attraction and it's a living museum all in one. That's really. right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you think about the history of it. And as you said, the ownership group has put a ton of work into it, um, you know, trying to modernize it, uh, you know, trying to enlarge concourses, uh, put in new seating. Um, you know, they've obviously added the roof deck and the monster seats and, you know, they've revamped. And everything they've done has been great. It's been great. Yeah. I mean, there's no knock on what they've done. Not because, at all. I mean, the monster seats are, you know, uh, I've been up there once. It's it's a novelty thing and it's it's cool. I don't know that I'd want to be there. But, you know, just that's thinking outside the box, Absolutely. obviously. Yeah. You know, and that whole right field area roof deck is fantastic with the big bar up there and. Uh, you know, they've certainly maximized, I think, the space that, that, that they could maximize. I mean, it's, you know, there are certain limitations with a structure that old. Uh, but still, it's a 109-year-old ballpark with cramped seatings and tough to get to and tough parking and narrow aisles. And, you know, if you try to get up to the fifth floor uh, press box, you got to wait, you know, six or seven trips before the elevator. I mean, who else cares about that? No one else cares. But, you know, there are... There, these are the realities of of, of uh, working sometimes at Fenway Park. You you tolerate it because it's Fenway Park, right? And and because it's historic and because it's legendary. Uh, you know, I would equate it to sort of going to New Orleans. Let's say, um, you know, New Orleans as a city is pretty much like a fraternity basement with <laughs> with better food and great music. I've never been, but I'll take your word. You right? love it because it's New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's novel and it's and it's old and it's uh, unique and quaint in certain spots. Um, you know, part of you would say we should knock down the whole thing and start over, uh, you know, because you built it in a, on a floodplain, um, you know, and you've got buildings decaying in, in certain spots that, that aren't necessarily the greatest. Right. Um, but the, the parts that make it stand out, the jazz clubs and the restaurants and Bourbon Street sure. are, are all fantastic. You wouldn't trade them for anything. And, right. and there isn't anything like them anywhere, anywhere else, else in the right. world. Right. Um, you know, Fenway is, is very much the same way. Um, you know, if you want some kind of modern park and you happen to be a six foot three person um, and you want a beer and, and maybe, uh, you know, some sort of different food, you're going to have to go to Petco Park yeah. or to Camden Yards or somewhere like that. Uh, Fenway isn't going to be your place. Um, you know, but 
if you'd like to be steeped in the history and the tradition and, and sort of you know be in a place that's been around for over 100 years and a place where Babe Ruth played and Cy Young pitched and you know Roger Clemens pitched and Ted Williams played and Carly Stromsky played like all that stuff is why you still have Fenway Park. You know, and one thing that that we're maybe shortchanging too is the area right around Fenway is is a is party zone too. You know, sure, Lansdowne Street and and uh, Jersey Street, which is not no longer Yorkie Way, and but you know that whole area that they that they kind of block off and and people can walk around and there's souvenir shops and the sausage guys and the hot dog and the, you know, that plays into it. That's not in in Fenway Park, but that that also plays into it. And not every ballpark really has that. No, and they've committed to do uh, to doing a major renovation project uh, in the neighborhood. They're they're going to be new commercial spaces yep. uh, if you go you know on the Boylston Street side of, of Fenway there's been major residential development uh, apartment buildings built there yep. uh, you know restaurants and, and shops coming in there um, you know it, it's it, they've certainly built around Fenway and I think that was a big part of my argument to build a ballpark here in Rhode Island for the Paw Sox is you use the stadium as an anchor right it's a very clear statement we're going to be here. We're investing here. We're going to spend money here. There's going to be people coming here. Come and live next to us. Open your restaurant. Open your business right. next to us. There will be people around. I, I think, you know, I, I remember when the ownership discussions were going on and they were talking about possibly building in South Boston. Frank McCourt owned a parcel of land in South Boston. He was one of the bidders for the team. Um, ultimately, he ended up buying the Dodgers. The Red Sox got very lucky in that way because he had a disastrous divorce, um, <clears throat> was in major financial trouble, uh, and, and got bailed out by Guggenheim Partners, who, who now own the Dodgers. They're multi, multi, multi billionaires. Um, obviously, have been able to spend and invest on the Dodgers, on Dodger Stadium. Yep. Uh, have built a a really good organization that wins, that's won a World Series, um, that's revitalized one of the coolest stadiums in, in sure. baseball. Yeah. Um, but the the idea that Fenway Park could be somewhere else, not in that place. Yeah. Uh, that the Red Sox could play somewhere else and, and not in that place. Yeah, it doesn't compute. It's very strange yeah. to think. You know, with with the realities of the park being what they are, it's still very difficult to envision the Red Sox playing anywhere else well uh this is a discussion that we could have for hours and hours and i'm sure we can uh, revisit it at some point so uh i think this will wrap up this edition of the twin bills uh the red sox will welcome the american league west into the historic confines of fenway this week the mm. surprising oakland a's uh i believe come in i want to say tuesday tuesday and then i think they have the angels coming in over the weekend correct uh, so uh, so we'll be uh, we'll be watching closely, uh, and we will uh, be interested to hear your take on the opening night at Polar Park next time we convene here in the lovely downtown Providence studios for our next Twin Bills. Bills, Bill, <laughs> thanks again. Thanks, Bill. <laughs>